0: Hello, and welcome to I Wish I Wrote That Song, a podcast where we talk to songwriters and artists about themselves, songwriting, and a song they wish they
1: wrote. They'll then play a cover of the song for us at the end of the episode. I'm Keith Wyatt, one of the founders of
0: Indie Kitchen, an acoustic sessions website and a small record label based in Cornwall
1: in the UK. And I'm David Glover, a writer, record producer, musician, Known of Tesla Studios, a recording studio in Sheffield. I listen to your friends band all the time.
0: For this episode, we spoke to Bristol based artist Fen Lily, shortly after the release of her album
1: Breach. Breach is the follow up to her 2018 debut Hold On. We spoke to Fen about her love for band camp drummer Carl, joining a prestigious roster at her label Dead Oceans, and of course, the song she wished she wrote. A song by Sparklehorse released in 2001. Head over to our website at
0: IWishIWroteThatsong.co.uk for more episodes and Spotify playlists of the songs featured. Also, send us an email on hello at I wish I wrote that song.co.uk to give us feedback, suggestions for new episodes, and let us know the songs that you'd wish you'd written. Welcome to I Wish I Wrote That Song with Fen Lillis. Then Lily, welcome to I Wish I Wrote That Song. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be virtually here.
1: What have you been up to? You got your album out just now? How's that been going? Alright?
2: Uh, yeah, no. I, I mean, I can't base the experience on anything else other than the first record, and that was a while ago, but
1: mm.
2: feels a bit surreal to not be touring. Mm. Does it make it, it feel a almost, bit more like a
1: non-event almost, or...?
2: Yeah, 100%. On the day, I, well, my boyfriend made it really nice. He bought me a birthday cake and we made croissants and he bought me some fake eyelashes, which I couldn't wear anywhere because we weren't going out. But, um, yeah, the day was fine. Although I I feel annoyed that I had to just stick by my phone and kind of search for validation online rather than playing an actual show with my friends to real people. But, um,
1: do you have any yeah. plans in the pipeline to maybe get on the road if it becomes possible? I'll just see how I mean, things go.
2: Yeah, we've got a we've got the rescheduled tour in, I think May. I'm not even sure. I'm trying not to think too much about yeah. the future right now because I know that at any point it could get uh, ripped out from under me. So, I'm, but I mean, touring is my favorite part of this job. So, whenever I'm allowed to, I'm gonna jump at the opportunity for sure. But for now, it's just online shows, which I find a little bit soul-destroying. It's mm. like, um, I talked to Hopalong the other day and she said it's like singing into a void, or singing mm. into a vacuum,
1: which I do agree with. There's no um, real feedback, is there? Anything to play off? So it's a bit.
2: No, it's just bit people weird. kind of replying with emojis. Yeah. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> I guess that's, it's sweet, it's something, but it's, um, yeah, it's not real. Where did you record the album? I recorded it in Chicago with Brian Deck, who made my favourite Modest Mouse record, Moon and Antarctica. Great album. And we, did it, we actually recorded it in the same studio that they do audio tree sessions in. It's a really cool studio. And we did guitars at Steve Albini's studio, which was rad.
1: What's that place called now? It's called
2: Electrical Electri- Audio.
1: Yeah, that place looks nice like yeah. as well.
2: Yeah, it was mad. There was a room that was just floor-to-ceiling pedals, and I got option anxiety. I couldn't choose, so I chose... A Distortion with a Naked Cowboy on the front (laughs) was my pick. And then when we finished recording in Chicago, I brought it back to Bristol and recorded vocals and a few other bits with my friend Ali Chan, who mixed my first record. And he was just going to mix this record, but I can never decide when something's finished and I wanted to fiddle for a bit more time. So he gave me that space to do that, which was really kind of him.
1: Did you start to tape then if it was at be in this place, or was it like digital? it was digital,
2: yeah, we did a couple of guitar lines with an old tape machine as an amp, but oh. no we didn't we didn't track to tape. I did on the first record oh, wow. but there's a lot more going on on this album, and i I didn't want to run the risk of wasting time and tape so. That should have been what it was called, actually. Way better title.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's a better workflow, isn't it, digitally doing it?
2: Yeah, I think the romantic in me is like, oh, so much cooler just to get one raw take and have to deal with it later. But realistically, I'm too much of a neurotic perfectionist to live in that world. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) How was it different approaching a new album? You know, as you say, this album was far more involved and a lot more going on.
2: Um, Writing-wise, it differed in the sense that for the first album, I wrote all the songs beginning to end on guitar and recorded them as a voice demo, like a a voice note, Mm -hmm. and then took them to my friend Dave, who produced the whole of the first album, and we added very slowly and tentatively small bits of kind of production and padded it out from it being quite an acoustic stripped back entity and for this album i taught myself how to record at home on GarageBand, which i know people turn their noses up at but i like it um if it works so when i it, it, it does work and uh iMovie works all the stuff that's on my mac i'm just lazy i don't want to pay for software but um <laughs> Yeah, for this album, I had all of the... I'd mapped out every instrument before I went into the studio, so it felt like I had a better idea of the sonic expanse of it before I had to trust someone else's opinion. Um, with the exception of strings, I knew I wanted to have strings on the album because I played a show at Festival Number no. 6 like a year and a half ago We played with an orchestra and it made me cry. So I was like, yeah, it makes sense to have strings on it. because I felt like I had a clearer idea. I wasn't leaving as much up to chance. Um, and we had a lot less time. There was more pressure in that sense. We were recording in Chicago around touring. Um, so we did a tour with Andy Schauf and then finished that tour and went into the studio for a few weeks and then the same after a tour with Lucy Dacus. So, yeah, again, stingy. Didn't want to pay for more flights, but <laughs> it seemed to work out because we just we played the songs live and it gave us a better sense of, A, which ones we were going to keep and record, and B, general stuff like the, the tempo and whether we should cut out a verse because it seemed too long,
1: mm-hmm. etc. So, yeah. How was it to Van de
2: He's, I mean, firstly, I think he's a genius.
1: That new um, ace, isn't it?
2: Yeah, he's he really cannot do any wrong, I don't think. And he's, when we toured with him, he was touring solo, so that party record is obviously very intricately put together instrumentally and I wondered before we saw him on the first night whether it would translate as well with just him and his guitar Mm. but he seems to play one instrument as if it's eight he's got this almost like orchestral way of playing the guitar it's it's mental it it was a shock and I was in awe of him and as a result couldn't really talk to him and he's quite (laughs) quiet anyway he's um, not the most Extroverted person, so it always felt like I was invading his space whenever I spoke to him. But he did steal me a captain's hat from one of the venues that nice. I became attached to, and the venue asked me not to take it home, and I wasn't going to, and then he um, took it anyway he took it for me (laughs) and I'm not going to name the venue because they'll know
1: and we'll get in trouble
2: So
1: I mainly mentioned him so I could just play one of his songs in the podcast
2: (laughs) oh can I choose
1: yeah 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 go on
2: Alexander All Alone I'm picking that one actually Alexander so spooky, that song. It feels like it's building to some kind of, like, murder. It's dark.
1: <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, your choice of songs pretty dark.
2: It is, I think, lyrically, it's, lyrically it's disturbing. Yeah. Mm. But I think, can I say who it's by?
1: Yeah, go
0: on. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sparkle Wars songs are generally a really heart-wrenching, theme wrapped in a soft packet of uh, sweet sounds. That was a very strange sentence. You I, like, that out. I, I liked <laughs> it. was <laughs> good.
1: He was a tormented man, wasn't he? Big time. Big time. The, the album, which is
0: called Breach, which uh, for anyone who doesn't know, is your first for Dead Oceans. It's quite a prestigious label to be on and being involved with the whole Secretly group.
2: Well, firstly, I was unsigned for my first album and... Mm-hmm. I was really torn when it came to deciding whether I should try and sign a record deal for the second album because I already had it all written and I knew who I wanted to make it with and it was just a case of weighing up whether I wanted to sign... What I thought signing was was signing your soul away to a group of people who don't care about you as a person. That was my idea of it. And I kind of came to the decision that I wouldn't look for a label, but if a label found me and I liked them... I had to think about it then. And it was perfect timing. Secretly came to one a show that I played in in New York with Andy. And I was just about to run next door to watch Pine Grove. I was playing with my, I always, well, when I do a, a strip back tour, I just tour with my guitarist, Joe. And we were like we're massive Pine Grove fans. And we were like, all right, we're just going to drop our instruments and run next door and no one's going to stop us. We're not going to let anyone talk to us. We've just got to make it to the show. And at the door, somebody from Dead Oceans was talking to my manager and was like, hey, I'd, I'd love to I'd love to chat to you, I'm from Dead Oceans. And the, the part of my brain that decided I just want to see Angelina live was like, fuck you, I need to leave. <laughs> but then business Fen was like, you should probably talk to this woman. She, she's from a label that you've appreciated for a long time. I used to work at a record store when I was a kid and I was sometimes left in charge of choosing the records that we got in and I'd just go on the Secretly website and see what they'd recently released because I knew I'd like it so the perfect label that I have felt a connection with since I was 15 came along just before I was about to make the very financially scary decision to um, again self-release the second record so yeah and I mean their their roster A is bonkers it's basically all artists that i at the moment love are now my i guess peers can i say that
0: yeah it feels like a jump yeah, you can.
2: <laughs> so yeah the, the company is brilliant and also the people that work with me are just yeah they seem to understand and care about the way i like to do things they don't push me they give me space um yeah they're they're really they're a brilliant group of people and the the guys that started the label still work there which I think is a really good sign yeah they're they're brilliant I love them a lot
1: it appears with Phoebe Bridges enough to have a chat in the bath with yeah That's cool
2: <laughs> yeah that was a uh, I had a I had a guest drop out the day before and Phoebe had just texted me because uh, she was in the uk and we were chatting a bit and I was like, dude I don't know. I mean we'd only met once before this point and I was like I don't know if this is too much to ask right now but are you free in 12 hours to talk <laughs> with me naked about things that don't really matter and she was really up for it so yeah it um, it worked out well yeah. but somebody's actually ripped that episode and put it on YouTube which I'm pissed oh, about no! Oh. but oh. maybe it means that yeah I think that's
1: kind of a, a compliment. Do you want to choose a Phoebe Ridges song? <laughs> We're going to put one of those in as well.
2: Chinese Satellite. I've been running around in circles
3: Pretending to be myself Why would somebody do this song
2: when i could do something else drowning out for morning birds that melody is it feels like the kind of melody that i've always had in my head but she's managed to kind of not actually i'm not saying i made that song and she's taken it <laughs> i mean it's one of those songs that feels like it's just been in the world forever and Floating around above our heads, and she's just kind of plucked it
1: out. And Do you ever get one that when you're writing that it's, it's something seems too familiar, even though you've just written it yourself, and it might not be anything, and you think that like you've robbed it from somewhere, but you haven't?
2: Yeah, when I wrote the, the chorus for "I Used to Hate My Body, But Now I Just Hate You," I was sending it to all my friends, being like, "Do you recognise this melody? Because I feel like I haven't written this. I wrote that song when I had fever." When I had fever, when I had a fever, <laughs> and I was not all there. So I kind of weirdly assumed that maybe I'd just heard it on the radio or something and pinched it. But it turns out, so far, that no loss. it is legitimately mine. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes something just arrives and you go, "Wow, oh, that's lucky that I was the person that, that received that.
1: Have you ever read a friend who points out everything that you've ever written sounds like something else? That always happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> she will be like, "Oh, I yeah. we'll oh, got this," and like, "That sounds like that part from that song." Damn like, you!
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I I do. I wrote a melody once, and my friend was like, "Oh, that's a Snow Patrol song." I was like, "No, it's fucking not. It's absolutely not." And then it <laughs> turned out it was a Snow Patrol song. So. <laughs> but no, I do have friends that just make really yeah. like lazy comparisons, and uh, I've stopped sharing with them. So they
0: know who yes. they are. I, I like the, the quote or the story on your web, website about that your mum gifted her old record collection to you. It reminded me of, there's a line in Almost Famous, the film, when uh, Zoe Deschanel's character gives...
2: Oh, um, her brother, yeah.
0: Hugs him as, as she's leaving and says, check under your bed.
2: Yeah.
0: It will set you free. I just thought it was a great quote amongst many in that film.
2: I actually had, had, a, had a, uh, a hankering. I had a hunger for that film the other day and I didn't watch it and then I realised a couple of days later that it was the anniversary of it. So It was. Um, yeah, my mum did give me all her records and at the time I wasn't as thankful as I should have been and I remember she used to recommend me books when I was a kid as well. She actually forced me to read To Kill a Mockingbird and I always used to fight against her recommendations as if it was like her telling me what to do. And I almost rebelled against her taste, which retrospectively was really stupid. So when she gave me all her albums, I remember going through them and ripping out all of the all the jazz. Actually, no, there wasn't any jazz. She hates jazz. All the reggae, um, all like the world music. I was like, I don't like that. I like rock music. And I disregarded quite a lot of it. But I latched onto Velvet Underground massively, immediately, um, Talking Heads, and I don't know if she introduced me to Joni Mitchell, but I definitely was given a Joni Mitchell record by somebody. Um, But I I kept that a secret at school, because it wasn't cool to listen to Nick Drake and Joni Mitchell and Neil Young. It was cool to listen to blink 182 who I also (laughs) love but I kept a lot of my old I felt like it was old person music I kept it to myself we talked before
0: about actually that sometimes you're aware of things but you find them at the right time for you almost and that sometimes you can just go back and revisit things and things become relevant another time
2: for sure and I I think that Spotify and streaming is good for that in terms of being able to search for something when you need it or yeah. Stumbling across something when you need mm. it. But I I wasn't alive at a time where you would just stumble across an actual solid record in a shop or you'd inherit it from someone, mm. really. And I think that is almost it feels cooler and more romantic in a way, like stumbling across an actual mm. solid
1: piece of work. Yeah. But um I like someone will give you a compilation tape and you just yeah. love something off it and find something else from that and it's kinda of gifted almost. Uh, yeah, it's found, yeah. found our gift and not just uh, an algorithm.
2: Yeah, there was a boy in my English class called Hank who was American and he didn't really talk but he was just quite quiet and strange and he uh, in one English lesson just slipped me this CD wrapped in a piece of paper with loads of stickers on it and I was like, thanks Hank for that. Didn't know what it was and it was uh, Sufjan Stevens mix tape. And I came back in the next day and I was like, holy fuck,
1: thanks so much for that. And he was like, no problem, I just felt like you might like it. we we'll get to play some Siffin Stevens, gonna <laughs> choose a Siffin Stevens son.
2: He did a song with Moses Sumney, actually. Can we play that?
1: Yeah.
3: I'm not trying to go to bed with you. I just want to make...
2: amazing and I actually heard somebody doing it at an open mic a couple of years ago and they pretended that they'd written it <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it. at the end and at the end someone came up to me and was like wow did you hear that guy his songs are amazing and I was like no they're not because they're not his <laughs> they are amazing but he yeah he's tricked you all there and I had a word with him and he looked really embarrassed
1: straight um, yeah <laughs> dear,
2: dear.
3: I'm not trying
2: to bed with you i just want to make yeah he's 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 excellent and he's the kind of person who just um, who disappears between album cycles and therefore you don't get bored of him mm. kind of peddling himself do you know what i mean yeah mm.
0: it's
2: like he gives the world space to absorb whatever he's created and then gives himself space to make the next thing yeah. and as a result everything he makes is amazing
1: that's kind of a modern um, thing isn't it the kind of keeping present and keep having to keep yeah reminding people you exist yeah content and content and stuff
2: it's tedious and it's definitely a trap you can fall into unless you consciously decide that it's cooler and more uh, valuable, less maddening yeah
0: Yeah. more enigmatic to be sure Yeah. yeah yeah i think it's part of the problem of social media isn't it that you have to just keep peddling something out every single day if you want to keep appearing up the searches Otherwise, you disappear. So I suppose it's the same thing with things like Spotify. People feel that they have to almost release every song off the album electronically before they finally release
1: the album. It's, and it's, Spotify asking for it all the time. They've asked it literally on yeah. the make more content.
2: Well, that's part of the reason why I decided to leave off the first two singles off the album because I knew it had been yeah. a while since I released any music. It had been like two years. I just thought it's it's good to like... Use streaming platforms to your advantage in the sense that you can just you can release EPs and separate singles constantly because you don't need to press it and it's yeah. mm-hmm. easily accessible. But at the same time, I don't like uh, listening to an album as soon as it's released and being like, "Oh, well, I know already know half of this." So I mm. wanted to avoid that and
3: mm.
2: keep Good. some of the some of the singles separate. And quite a lot of people are pissed off about it. But I was like, if you're that cross, you can just go and find it online. Yeah. It's not hard.
0: Just, just make a playlist. Yeah. <laughs> with those songs in it. Yeah, just the As tip. I have. I've put To Be a Woman Part 2 in my playlist that plays the album. So,
2: Thank you so but, much. Yeah. yeah, you can so, arrange yeah. your own album now. It's yeah. like yeah, exactly. Build a Bear, but with yeah. music.
1: Yeah. I thought I could go out and buy it. Well, not even go out, just go to a different screen on the computer and <laughs> click, click <the> buy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you feel then that,
0: um, you know, hopefully more and more people, I hope, are buying vinyl? Um, and although they won't have the first two singles on it, do you think that you know, if we can get back to a physical presence for music again, then actually it becomes more exciting? And like you say, you know, then someone can feel like they've discovered something important or new because it has a physical presence rather than just being streaming.
2: Yeah, I think this vinyl resurgence is hugely important and really exciting. Um, I didn't have Wi-Fi in my flat. For two years on purpose because I wanted to focus on working and I just had a record player and that's how I listened to music and it made me appreciate the the records that felt like they were thought about in terms of that solid version of things I like focusing on like the pacing of records
3: Mm.
2: how they work as two separate sides and two separate stories of the same narrative and I was really conscious when I was making this record that I wanted it to work in a vinyl format um, and I thought maybe this is going to be wasted on people because no one seems to be kind of, yeah but I, I actually think it, yeah. people are buying records and it is something you do to now support an artist that you like further yeah. um, which I think is really cool
0: Yeah, There's the stereotypical difficult second album, you know the first album being written over many years as a band or an artist is getting towards the point of actually being able to release an album and then obviously the second album suddenly happened to be written in six months or something.
2: Yeah, I think the uh, when I wrote the first one I didn't really think I was making a record, I was just writing songs, and then for the second one I was like inspired by playing my own music, which sounds like I have a huge ego, but it was the process of touring songs that made me want to write more. And we did a lot of touring, so I was constantly wanting to refresh the collection of songs that i could play live and yeah it's, it's a snowball effect i think it's like mm. um the opposite of energy you you can't you can't run out of it it's the creativity refreshes itself the more you do the more you feel like doing it mm. at least how that's that's how i
1: felt for that's really interesting that process mm. so yeah yeah that's a good way to put it
3: I was on
1: What what is your process for writing usually? I guess using GarageBand, has GarageBand kind of changed it up at all? It has. I've I've
2: actually realised that I need to find a happy medium between the way that I used to work and the way that I work now because I tend to get too obsessed with tinkering with things on GarageBand and I forget sometimes that the actual structure and the bulk of the song and how it feels most natural for me to play it, that's the most important thing and... I think I yeah I used to write the whole song and then add to it and I think I need to start doing that again because it comes to playing it live and I go shit I can't play this whole thing by myself I can't do an Andy Schauf where I <laughs> where I play every instrument with one instrument but my process is I mean it it changes mostly I have a really short attention span so I'll sit down for like an hour with a guitar and get some kind of vague idea of a melody and then go do something else and then get stoned and sit with it for a while and move it around it um it changes per song but i yeah i'm not very strict with myself about about structuring how i work and maybe i need to get better at that because i kind of just let things come to me when they when they want to which feels maybe unsustainable Mm. because i will have to Having said that I love being signed, I feel the pressure that I now have to fulfill my contract and write this, the amount of records that they ask me to write. So, yeah, it's, it's a strange one. But no, I, I wouldn't say I have like a set process. It, it kind of just happens how it happens. And I do what I can to to log what I what my thought process is. Yeah. Because I've got to the point now where I've forgotten the tuning for one of the songs on the album. And I have to do a KXP session soon and I don't know what one of my songs is, <laughs> is um, so I have to relearn that but yeah, my process is vague and changes
1: That's an interesting writing tool I think is changing tunings and not really knowing what's going off with what you're playing for me anyway it's like um, yeah. I, I know guitar in standard tuning and I'll just use the same patterns most of the time but if I go to like an open E or an open C I don't kind of know what's going off So just making shapes and making melodies and voicings without knowing what's happening.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a good way to push yourself out of your pattern of using the same stuff all the time. Mm. But I I started doing it through laziness. I I didn't want to learn how to (laughs) properly play guitar, and if I couldn't get my fingers in the right shape, I'd just change the strings so that I could keep the same shape and it would sound different. Nice. Um, It also makes... I struggled at the beginning when I was doing shows with sound techs not taking me seriously because I was 16 and playing an acoustic guitar and a girl and always on my own. And I felt like I was kind of treated like a bit of a baby. And then as soon as I started kind of pulling out all these weird tunings, suddenly kind of made people realize that maybe I do know what I'm doing, but I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) It was like a trick to get more respect. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, So you're going to play Berlin for us. Thanks very much.
3: This siren call It's great You mm-hmm.
2: I wrote, this, I wrote this song in Berlin, obviously, because of the title. Maybe that isn't obvious. I wrote this song in Berlin, and I spent a month writing out there and then got the plane home and lost all my material because my phone died. And this was one of the only songs that came back to me, this and Someone Else's Trees, which is also on the record. And I initially disregarded it and thought that it didn't have enough lyrics to be an actual legit song. Um, So I used the guitar run for another song that I wrote with my friend Matt. We wrote this song called Ride or Die, and I used the, the guitar part. And we really liked the song. And then when I started rehearsing with my band with a view to recording, I was reminded by my guitarist that I had written Berlin, and he was like, I really love that guitar line. You should resurrect that song. And I had to tell Matt, I'm really sorry, we can't release Ride or Die because I have really (laughs) decided to take that guitar bit back. So sorry about that. Which is, it's it's strange to think that this song might have never surfaced because it's become the, I think, thematic centre point for the record. It all kind of hinges on this decision to be by myself on purpose and be comfortable with my own company. Which, uh, yeah, feels like a lot of the songs on the record are around that decision. So, yeah, this kind of retrospectively became the main feature of breach. Yeah,
0: and it nearly didn't happen.
2: Nearly didn't happen.
0: I really like someone else's trees, by the way. As soon as you mentioned that, love that. Thank
2: you so much. It's a combination of three songs actually that I didn't, I couldn't be bothered to finish, so I just put them all in one song.
0: Um, you said that after the first album, a lot of it was written on acoustic guitar. Now you're writing you know, with uh, on GarageBand, I guess, or using that. Are you imagining in the songs very different from the start now? Then,
2: well, to be clear, when I write on GarageBand, I do always start with the guitar track. I will sit down and figure something out, and then and then that will be my my basis. I don't really, I haven't moved away from needing a guitar mm-hmm. to start the process. I more use GarageBand as almost like a collaging tool. Like instead of having to draw out the whole picture, I can cut it up and move it around and change the pitch and stuff. So, But it, it has and will always be guitar-based because I feel like I need an instrument in order to find melody for my voice. I don't just suddenly get a, an idea of a song in my head I need to kind of walk myself through it. Garage band's been a really good tool for me to realise that when it comes to getting a drummer to add something to a song, it doesn't have to be the same stuff. That obviously the drummers in Garage Band are shit. The one I use is called Kyle. He's a rock drummer and he sucks.
1: <laughs> I like the Portland. <laughs> I like Portland because I, I. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've got like, I I've, I've run a studio. I'm a record producer, but and mm. when I write, I use Garage Band. Sometimes just because of the just cause of the stuff's just there and it's easy, and like before, you grab the pedal that had a sexy cowboy. Mm. I you know <laughs> having not, not having those options, just being able to grab a drummer called Portland or a drummer called Kyle, or just have mm. these things that you can just put down quickly. I think it's a great thing. I don't, I don't think you should be snobby about it. Well, people, not you, people shouldn't be snobby about it.
2: For sure. I don't know if I'd make a... I wouldn't trust my my own recordings that I've made on GarageBand to be released. Having said that, um, the first track on Breach to be a woman in part one is my own recording on GarageBand. We didn't change it in the studio at all. We didn't rec- re-record anything. So, in fact, there is one of my GarageBand <laughs> songs in the world. And no one really seems to have noticed, which is really nice. Hmm. No one's been like, hang on, this sounds shit. Um, so, yeah, that's... Refreshing.
0: And Lily, you've already said that your chosen song is by Sparkle Horse. What is the song that you wish you'd written?
2: My, my chosen song is Gold Day of It's a Wonderful Life.
3: Good morning, my child.
2: This record came along at a time where I was struggling with having a quiet voice. And I thought, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with the fact that my voice is sonically really soft and what I'm saying differs from that. I'm not singing saccharine songs about being in love. I feel more anger and more sadness than maybe that voice would suggest. And when I heard this record, I was like, okay, here's a guy who clearly has a lot of fucked up stuff going on in his head. And yet he sounds like he's singing lullabies. And this song opens with, good morning, my child. And I immediately felt, felt like I was being tricked into a false sense of security because the the lyrics, as we, we spoke about this before, but the lyrics are clearly from a mind that struggles with life and yet he has a way of making you feel like you're being held and hugged and i just wish that someone would do that for him because it sounds like he really needs it yeah. and also there's this very strange i guess it's a flute sound
1: yes the mother kind of is it? Yeah.
2: That drone. I couldn't couldn't replicate it myself, but yeah, the arrangement of this song and actually this whole album, he's used instruments that sound like they might be found in a in a nursery.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but it still cuts me to my core, <laughs> and I think it always will. It's one of those albums that I don't, I'm not going to ever grow out of. Um, yeah. I
1: think he did use Tyson from a nursery and stuff. I think he really did actually use old did fisher Price toys and stuff like that, yeah. He'd like collect Ooh. these things and use things in really interesting ways.
2: Or well, when I, I, I've I been speaking to my managers about um, making another record and finding another producer and I was like, I really want whoever produced this album to produce the next album and they were like, it was... Dave Fridman. <laughs> Is he dead?
1: No, he's still going.
2: He's not? Oh, brilliant.
1: No, he's got an amazing studio a as well. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. Would be a good choice, of producer.
2: And get yeah. a Fisher-Price
1: sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's done, like, most of my favourite albums.
2: Who else?
1: Make Your Rev, Deserter's Songs. Right. He did, like, the Flaming Lips, Soft Bulletin and Yoshimi Battles. Um, wow. The Pink Robots and Low. Do you know Low? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think he did the great Destroyer album of theirs as well. Very
2: cool.
1: been when you first listened to this song?
2: I think I was 17. I just moved to Bristol.
1: Mm. So what, yeah what they're doing, uni and or college and stuff are.
2: Didn't actually go to uni. I moved I moved to Bristol because I was asked by a guy called Ollie Wilde, who I found in NME, and he makes amazing music. A lot like Sparkle Horse, actually. He mm. idolises Sparkle Horse, and you can definitely tell, not in a ripping off way, but you can tell the, the influences there. And he got in touch with me over SoundCloud and was like, I'd love it if you played some shows, because I'd like to see you perform. And I didn't have any songs, so I quickly wrote a bunch of songs. And then when it came to deciding whether I was going to go to college or not, I thought, maybe I'll just move to Bristol. And then I did end up doing an art foundation course in Bristol. But um, yeah, I didn't go to uni, just moved here Hmm. with the hope of just playing shows and meeting people more like Ollie. So, yeah.
1: Do you think it influenced you in other ways other than kind of just bolstering that you can do it with the voice you had
2: yeah thematically definitely opened my mind to the idea that you don't have to just be pondering into personal relationships the relationship with yourself and your own brain is as valid if not more so than heartbreak etc because I was in a in a position where I kind of felt like the songs I'd written pigeonholed me almost as well as, well, to other people and also myself where I was like, now I write about heartbreak and I think actually I mostly feel pain from myself and the hard time that I give myself and I recognised that in Sparkle Horse's music Mm. Um, and I kind of felt like that was a... Yeah, as valid an avenue to go down as um, talking about relationships. So, yeah, maybe it wasn't as conscious a realisation, but it definitely has been occurring to me more and more because I've been revisiting his albums during lockdown. Actually, it's good
0: music to paint to. So. Mm. Was it an easy choice to choose that song or was there a, a short list?
2: I had three songs. I had two Sparkle Horse songs. One is Maria's Little Elbows, but I realised I couldn't really do it with kyle the good the garage band drummer it sounded (laughs) shit so i stopped that and then i was gonna do uh love is only a feeling by the darkness um good but i realized that i'm i'm gonna save that and do that live because my guitarist joe is always looking for an opportunity to shred so i wanted to give him that chance without um yeah without ruining it first by myself so <laughs> that was the list
0: well it's a great version by the way
2: thank you yeah. i really enjoyed doing it actually i never really do covers but this is um made me want to do more of them it was really fun
0: does it make you think about how other people song or other people write their songs in a way that will influence how you go about writing songs in future but actually learning someone else's song
2: yeah for sure first and foremost new chords what you were saying about getting stuck in the same rhythm of doing similar stuff every time guitar wise um, yeah learning other people's stuff and seeing how structurally they approach arranging a song I think I get I get lazy with it and just do that first chorus first chorus bridge Mm. chorus chorus thing but um, it's exciting to see how someone else would approach that and also with Maria's little elbows there's a bit that's pinched from a Velvet Underground song Candy Says Mm. and I always used to think that's lazy to take someone else's idea and put it into your own song but actually having tried to learn that it's uh it made me think maybe referencing other stuff is uh is valid it's like sampling I used to think that's shit they've just chopped up someone else's song but um yeah I have more respect for it now yeah definitely and also his, Sparkle Horse's voice is so flexible, I actually had to, I recorded the whole track and then came to sing it and realised it's too high for my register. So I had to pitch the whole thing down and then when I was adding instruments I would have to pitch it back up to, I think it was C, C flat, pitch it, pitch it back down to like B sharp minor or whatever. So yeah, I had a bit of a hard time recording it because his voice
0: is uh, better than mine. <laughs> So, Fen, you're going to play for us Gold Day.
2: Yes, I am. It's not really a patch on the original, so if you're a massive Sparkle Horse fan, maybe skip this next three and a half minutes, but um, I tried my very best.
0: If you are a massive Sparkle Horse fan, then don't skip the next three minutes because it's worth <laughs> listening to.
2: Thank you.
3: In silver piles of smiles, may all your days be gold, my child. A necklace of leaves. Sometimes it can weigh a ton, keep all your crows away, hold skinny wolves at bay, Instead.
0: What were your concerns or what were your thoughts in recording a song that meant so much to you?
2: I didn't want to ruin it. And I didn't want to ruin it for myself either. Um, It's a a weird one. I did a podcast called My Favourite Elliot Smith Song and I had to pick an Elliot Smith song and talk about it and I know that both Elliot Smith and Sparkle Horse have such enormous cult followings of people that just love and respect everything they've ever made. And I was nervous to approach Sparkle Horse as my my person to cover because similarly, yeah, he, he has diehard fans that don't want his good name to be shat on. So I didn't want to, yeah, I was, I was nervous about ruining it. And also, yeah, I feel like certain artists, the gravity of their work is based on their delivery. And the, certainly for Sparkle Horse, the almost like dreamlike quality of it. And I didn't know whether I would be able to do that justice. And I still don't really know. I just, I kind of tried to ignore those voices that were saying, you're gonna fuck up.
0: Well, thanks very much for your time and thanks for joining us. It's been really good. Thanks for choosing me. Thanks thanks so much. It's been nice.
2: Thank you for, yeah.
0: good luck with the album. I hope it goes really well and hopefully we'll see you somewhere on tour at some point.
2: Yeah, fingers crossed. Science, please save us. I'm Fen Lilly and you've been listening to my episode of I Wish I Wrote That Song featuring Gold Day by Sparkle Horse hosts were keith wyatt and david glover if you've enjoyed the episode please leave a review with your podcast provider share it with your friends and shout about it generally please keep your eyes and ears peeled for future episodes thank you for listening